Uh, good morning and welcome. Uh, my name is Emily Berg and uh, I'm the interpretive planner at Heritage Toronto uh, working on this online exhibition about uh, Toronto's music history. And my name is Warren Walensky. I'm the president and founder of a company called Plank. Uh, and we were, you know, we, we were focused a lot on, on working on... Um, we focus a lot of our attention on working on arts and culture projects, so we, we're really happy to have the opportunity to work with Heritage Toronto on this project. Yeah, and so a little bit about Heritage Toronto. Um, we're a charity and arm's length organization um, from the city of Toronto in Canada that celebrates Toronto's rich heritage uh, through diverse stories of its people, places, and events. We're not a traditional museum in any way, nor are we a collecting agency, um, but we run various programs throughout the city, and we have one of the most robust uh, historical plaque programs in North America. So uh, uh, a couple of years ago, actually I think it is about a couple of years ago, we were approached by Heritage Toronto um, to see if we were interested in collaborating on this project. Uh, we've worked with, uh, with other museums, specifically on projects funded by the Virtual Museum of Canada. So given our background, um, we decided to work directly with Heritage Toronto on developing an application um, to get funding from the Virtual Museum of Canada. And we were really proud that they decided to fund this project. Um, and we were proud to be involved from the beginning um, to help shape the actual scope of work, what the project was going to look like, and how it was going to be done. Yeah, so the Virtual Museum of Canada, it's a federally funded investment program that helps to build the digital capacity of museums and heritage organizations uh, to create one of the largest digital sources of shared stories and experiences across Canada. So Sounds Like Toronto is a VMC, a Virtual Museum of Canada, virtual exhibition investment program funded by the Virtual Museum Investment Program. And it, it talks about Toronto's both known and unknown artists and music venues who have were either born in Toronto or have had a significant moment in Toronto. And users and online visitors will have a chance to get a strong sense of Toronto's musical roots as well as the foundation and the impact of the, on the Canadian music scene. As an educational exhibition, uh, we are working with educators to develop high school curriculum materials in English, social sciences, history and uh, music classes and we'll be launching next year. Um, so we're excited to share a little bit of a sneak peek with you today. So before we get into um, looking at the actual work and, and, and the way that, that Emily has, has worked really hard to craft the kind of narrative of this project, um, and I know I'm pe preaching to the choir here, but I just want to tell you a little story because I personally believe that uh, technology and, uh, and museums are a perfect match. Um, and, and technology and, and websites and web projects are imperative and important um, an important thing to museums, but um, I was at another museum conference about a year ago, and I ended up having a discussion with a couple executive directors who actually said the words that they were frightened still by, by technology, that actually digital was something that would damage their museums, and I, I just found that shocking. Um, the, I, and I, I get on one hand that, you know, getting human beings into your institutions are the key thing you want to do as a museum, and I think it's imperative that you still focus on that, but the reality is, if you get a million or even half a million or 200,000 people into your institution, that still means that hundreds of millions of other people are never going to show up and you have no opportunity to develop that relationship. Uh, digital projects are a way to develop that relationship, engage with people who might never visit your museum and ensure that you have, you know, you, you, you build that, that connection. And I recognize that, that the 
in-person attendee is that number one. But if you want to value a museum, um, a, a digital museum uh, visitor as a 0.5 or 0.25, that's great. But still make sure that you value them and value their impact on your institutions. So many of us are familiar with uh, Nina Simon's book, The Art of Relevance. Uh, I am often influenced by her writing, and I, when I work on projects, including this one, there are three very important aspects that drive my ideas as well. Um, so they are relevancy, engagement, and meaning, and how does that look like from the user perspective. So I believe that these uh, concepts create the connective tissues and threads to bring content, design, and user experience together, and we have framed our exhibit goals and presentation around these three words. So what does that look like for Sounds Like Toronto? Relevancy. Um, for us, this means that this online music exhibition is to unlock new meaning. It's to resonate especially with our target audience, which is our youth, um, and engage with them on a, both a personal and emotional level, unlocking meaning through the diverse stories and helping them to realize that the relevance of both the past and the present within Toronto's music history. When I was brought into this project, there was a very narrow focus on the 1960s rock and roll and folk music scenes in Toronto, which were seminal to Toronto's music. Um, but with our target audience being youth um, and geared towards them, I felt that these two themes, these both the terms of the content and our audiences didn't quite connect. And I really wanted to bring it up to date. And I really wanted to hear from the students themselves, our target audience, what they were thinking. And so I was tasked to find, well, I wasn't tasked. I, asked, I wanted to also address um, issues such as gender parity within artists and the music communities. I wanted to create inclu an inclusionary exhibition that was accessible. And I also wanted to feature artists that were queer, black, people of color, indigenous artists from the last 65 years up to today. So step one, what did I do? I arranged to do front end formative as well as um, upcoming summative evaluations with grades 10 to 12 um, students in our local public school board to speak with them um, in their music history and English classes as well as their teachers about what music meant to them and what they were interested in learning about and their responses and my intuition um, were correct and I changed the narrative of this project to better reflect um, to be more relatable and to be more inclusive. Um, Students respond with great gusto when we ask to find them what does music mean to them, what and who they would like to see in this exhibition. Uh, one student said that they wanted a balance between up and coming artists as well as um, artists they already know. They also talked about how music was really meaningful to them and has been a lifeline for them in their own hardships growing up. And this one student um, sort of really summed up quite nice quite well. She said, having it be from diverse perspectives, not in relation to race, not just in relation to race and ethnicity. Gender is a big thing for me. The music industry is dominated by men, and it is hard when you don't see yourself in that. With ethnicity, I'm Colombian Canadian. Jesse Reyes, a Toronto-based artist, is also Colombian Canadian, and I'm like, whoa, she's like me, and she's from Toronto. So this is Jesse Reyes backstage at the Ottawa Juno Awards in 2017. With respect to content, um, we also were asking students what they were interested in learning, and interactivity is a very large part of what the Virtual Museum of Canada uh, expects in their um, exhibitions and in their projects that they're working on. And um, we asked them what 
we asked students what they were interested in learning about in terms of like how different interactive elements, whether it was 3D objects, through photogrammetry, 360 degree tours, video interviews, and the 3D objects, 360 tours, as well as um, interacting with images um, and video interviews uh, resonated the most. Yeah, like so uh, working with the VMC, um, it's really important to them. The, the, the word they keep using is interactive, interactive, interactive. And we wanted to make sure that we lived up to those expectations. So we wanted interactive to be more than just, you know, scan, you know, like clicking on a photo and, and making it larger. We wanted it to be really elements that, you know, that, they, that, that students and, and, and the general public could explore. Um, you know, there's a couple 360 videos that are being developed for this project, which actually will let people explore venues that don't even exist anymore. Uh, so it's really exciting for people to be able to have that opportunity to explore, look at, and really interact with the different elements. Now, from a design perspective, we had an interesting challenge. And the challenge was, how do we come up with a look and feel that actually spans a 50 or 60 year period? Um, how do we come up with a look and feel that actually accounts for uh, material that could be black and white photos to modern, you know, um, really beautiful like digital photos or, or 3D objects? So the inspiration we decided to look at was to take some of the design look and feel from the 1980s from Much Music, which is, an, which is like MTV, it's a Canadian version of MTV, and a lot of the artwork at that time were these big, bright colors. Um, and we found that we, we were able to pull this kind of modern retro feel, so if you look at the color palette we chose, it ends up kind of fitting in with the look and feel that, that, that youth would expect today or they interact with and they connect with emotionally while also referencing the retro look and feel as well. So, you know, our designers are really proud of that ability to kind of find that right balance between the two. Um, from a technology perspective, we wanted to reflect um, and, and present the content in ways that were going to be useful to youth as well. So, um, it's interesting, we ended up really, really relying on uh, Spotify and YouTube rather than going the traditional route of, of commissioning or, or purchasing music directly and being able to present it in a, in a way that was going to work for youth. Yeah, because given the limited funding that we had rela related to music licensing, we would only be able to license about a three to five second minute clip <laughs> for each of the 40 artists um, and places and venues that we're featuring, which is not a lot of uh, time to get to know a uh, music uh, or that sound. So when I was asking, uh, when I was in the classrooms and I was asking their, our music students, uh, I asked them, how are you listening to music today? Like, what is interesting to you? Uh, and like, is there a platform? And if so, what is it? And they unanimously, literally all in the class, they're like, Spotify, um, just Spotify. They're like, Spotify's number one, then Apple Music, then YouTube. And it was interesting to sort of hear them. And I very much uh, am aware that this is a small sampling. Um, however, uh, there was a recent report last month in Hypebot, which is a technology, music, and business insider report um, that confirmed that music is being redefined by Gen Zs, which are those uh, from born between 1995 and 2010, which is our target, pretty much our, with our target audience are Gen Zs. Um, and they are saying that YouTube and Spotify serves as the two largest entertainment platforms for them, for that particular audience. So we wanted to be able to, for them to be able to click on musics um, throughout the exhibition, to hear songs, to be able to create playlists. If they don't have a free Spotify account, um, it will automatically play a 30-second clip of the song. So a 30-second clip, if you have don't want an account on Spotify or anything like that, you still get to hear 30 seconds, which is much better than three to five seconds. Yeah, and also if, if you have a Spotify account, what's interesting too is listening to the music and interacting with it is going to affect the account and then expose new music to, to audiences in ways that they might not have if we were just presenting a two or three second clip, you know, and I, I think it's just a more interactive and a, and, a, and a richer way to experience and connect with the music.
So with respect to engagement, um, I wanted users, and especially our youth users, to be both surprised and entertained. Uh, in our museum world, we have edutainment, which is <laughs> an interesting term. But uh, <laughs> I wanted uh, youth to be both entertained and while learning something, because often when you are, um, you desire to learn more, and you don't necessarily realize the engagement that you're going down those rabbit holes and that you're taking longer time on the website and experiencing something when you're actually engaged in it. So essentially, I also wanted youth to be, who might have been directed to this website as a class project because of the curriculum-based materials, I want them to stay there and learn and explore, and then also share that with their friends, with their family, and to also encourage intergenerational learning. So I briefly mentioned before that we um, decided to uh, commission and use photogrammetry to um, share some 3D objects that were related and relevant to some of the stories we were talking about. In my audience research, students were interested in learning about clothing, the uh, different outfits that artists wore, instruments that they might not know about, um, and we wanted students to be able to interact with them and be part of the online exhibition. So I will show you an example in just a minute. Uh, working with the digital company Think to Thing. In Toronto, we created 12 digital renderings of various objects relating to these different stories. They ranged from uh, former club signs to a swizzle stick from the 1960s, uh, Juno Music Award, the original prototype of Much Music Speaker's Corners Box, um, as, uh, as well as this 1983 Technics turntable, which is a real collector's item if you are a DJ because they do not make it this way anymore and it's gone all digital, whereas here you still have aspects of analog that you're able to play with. So let me get this going. Uh, I'll just quickly say here, uh, we were working with the Bata Shoe Museum to create digital renderings of three pairs of shoes that different artists uh, wore. So this pair here that we're going to be showing you is uh, the jazz pianist Oscar Pearson. And this was his pair of last performance shoes before he passed away in 2007. So let's watch a little mini video. So here we have the shoe. Um, provided by Shoe Museum, and soon we'll see the technician is going to be scanning the shoes using the EVA scanner, uh, which is a company in Luxembourg. Um, it's a handheld scanner that quickly pulsates with light strobes to capture the different features. This is a material capture to get a sense of the light and reflections. This is the texture map, which is a graphic design wrapped around the shoe. Here is the vertex normals to create the little uh, lines coming out of it to create gauge and brightness. And finally, this is the wire frame. Um, to create and show what has been removed in terms of the polygon components and the shapes consisting of the different vector points, which combined together, you create the object. Um, we've uploaded it through, through Sketchfab, and then we've downloaded it for our website, and here is a user interacting with it, getting a little bit closer, um, spinning it around, zooming in, um, to sort of get to know these pairs of shoes that you would not normally get to see. Um, so to be able to have the users um, come up close and personal with it is really exciting. And let me just switch back. Sorry. So um, we were tasked with trying to find that proper balance from a design perspective of how do we um, how do we demonstrate all these different interactive elements? How do we get in place also the design um, look and feel that we were looking to capture and make sure that the site was engaging? So we wanted to make, we wanted to ensure that 
every interaction that the user had would always encourage them to want to explore more. Um, we wanted we wanted to to, to be um, as engaging as possible, and also, as you can see, we we're showing you a desktop view, but we, but we really designed this with a mobile-first intention, so that the mobile experience would be just as rich and have absolutely no limitations or any difference from um, the desktop experience. Uh, and also for us, another important point, and I'm not going to get too technical here, but working with the Virtual Museum of Canada as well, they have very, very strict um, standard compliance um, expectations for the site. So we had to find that proper balance, again, between design, interactivity, elements, and ensure that the site was, was, was compliant um, with all modern technical standards. Um, to give you an example, I'll actually give an example. VMC is really involved in the project, so going through the five stages that they expect on this project, when we hit one stage and they wanted to just make sure that the site was working as expected or as they, as they expected, I mean, they, sh they showed back up with 50 pages of notes to just basically say, these are all the little small things we'd like to see you edit to, to make sure that the site is an even better experience for all of the users. So um, it, seems, it, it seems at first like a scary thing to go through, but it ensures the project is that much better by having somebody who's really taking care of, 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 of and caring about the project as much as we are. Yeah, and I know where you'll talk about this in a little bit, but um, it's really important in terms of accessibility to be able to have all of those implemented from the beginning um, when you're point. developing the website. Um, so to have those fields in the back end for alternative text, to be able to be compatible with screen readers, to be able to have a complementary experience um, that doesn't um, shy away. Um, whether you're a user that can see it on a screen or whether you're a user that needs to experience it in a different way, um, to really have that comparable experience is really important. Yeah, to build on that point, um, Emily has a really, really good point there is, um, I think when you're designing a site to, to have an, you know, a high level of accessibility or the proper level of accessibility, it shouldn't be an afterthought that you kind of tack on at the end of the project, kind of like, oh, it's accessibility time. Um, from a design perspective, even, our team made sure that they took accessibility to heart in design. So, you know, in the case here where we are using full screen, um, you know, full screen colors and elements, but we've also gone through and made sure that we met W3C, uh, uh, you know, contrast um, expectations. So we, 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 from the design level alone, took a lot of those into account. Yeah, sorry, I jumped ahead a little bit. That's but, okay. <laughs> um, and I'll just quickly, this is an example of one of the 360 tours. This is the, what was formerly known as the Masonic Temple and the Rock Pile. It's now the Concert Hall. Um, it has been around uh, for, it's our oldest venue, and uh, that's part of the exhibition. And it's gone from being a ballroom dance to a jazz dance to Led Zeppelin in 1969 coming to play there, uh, to rock music, punk music. I, through my research, I also found out that it was also uh, queer community dances and fundraisers were held there in the 80s and 90s. It's also the mecca for hip-hop music and the birth of hip-hop music in Toronto. Um, it narrowly escaped demolition in 1997 because its address is 888, which is a very lucky number. Um, and <laughs> Many developers were interested in demolishing it and creating apartments, and it now uh, it used to hold MTV's offices, and it now holds events. Uh, it's an event space as well as a tech firm that works there, and they um, celebrate and hold dearly their music heritage. So it's really exciting. So users will be able to walk through. There are hot spots throughout. It's a new 360 degree experience for everyone to see. So lastly, meaning. Um, <laughs> 
We wanted users to be active agents in their discovering of the content and making sense of what they're learning. Uh, and we wanted all users, as we were saying earlier, mm -hmm. to ex be able to explore sounds like Toronto and dig into our four storylines. So speaking of these storylines, um, I talked earlier about it being accessible in terms of um, design and content, but also in terms of content. Um, so bridging, uh, I really wanted to talk about music as um, the narrative and social themes that music can create and how music pushes boundaries and creates social change and also connects people together. Um, and music can often be a means to express oneself, it can be a form of identity, it can be a way to build community, as well as to take a stand to resist uh, and to challenge social norms. I won't go through all of them, but just up on your top left is Buffy St. Marie. She was banned from the US radio um, because of her music. We have Jackie Shane. Uh, she is a transgender artist from the 1960s that played prominently along Young Street. Jesse Reyes is there. And then Jeremy Dutcher on the middle of the bottom. He's an uh, two-spirited Indigenous um, artist who is a classically trained opera singer and who uh, is singing in his Indigenous language, um, as well as Archie Lane, who broke one of the color barriers um, in Toronto. So from a design perspective, again, um, we were really looking to try to, to try to find a way to have a design language that was emotionally connective uh, with youth, but also we wanted to make sure this was an intergenerational conversation so that if youth saw themselves represented, we wanted their parents or grandparents to see themselves represented as well because they're a part of the community around this site. Um, another key thing that we were touching on a little bit before is accessibility. Uh, Again, we wanted to make sure that this site had an aesthetic look and feel that would fit really well within the expectations, but also from an accessibility perspective, we wanted to ensure that all content was available and was, was, was available in any platform in any way that somebody used it so that everybody, no matter their situation or no matter the technology that you're using, we're gonna have a comparable um, experience with the site. So what were our takeaways? Um, from my perspective as the interpretive planner, it's very important to have a solid interpretive plan to know your target audience, to engage with your target audience and to build those relationships. Um, it's also important to build relationships with the people that you the content that you're creating. So I have been working on developing relationships with various artists and asking them what their story that they're wanting to have told. Um, it's important to learn from your audiences. It's important to create prototypes to develop preliminary websites uh, for user testing and feedback. Uh, be aware of the latest technologies for virtual exhibitions that can improve interactives, but also to only use them when appropriate. I think we can get really excited sometimes and just use what we need to. And for myself as an emerging museum professional, to believe in myself and to know that the skills that I have match the vision of this project. And I'll, I'll come back to the Virtual Museum of Canada as a partner. So one of the things that we learned was how to find that right balance of working with multiple stakeholders. So it wasn't just one organization working you know, in, in a bubble. It was three different organizations with multiple uh, expectations for the project working together. So we had to try to find that balance of always balancing the relationship. We, we, we are proud to be have this project funded by the VMC. This project would not be possible without them. So a lot of the different ways and their expectations might at times seem a little bit tough or a little bit challenging. They actually have worked with us to make the project a better one. Um, we've learned so much from myself personally about technology choices. You, you have a good point, Emily, which is, you know, we could, as a technology company, want to always push forward with the most, you know, cutting edge technology, but that's not always the best approach. We found that in this case, finding that right balance of what was the best technology to use um, that 
pushed boundaries but didn't cross them into a level where they almost became unusable or they were um, unhelpful. Um, so, you know, for us, the, the challenge was always trying to find and strike that right balance through all the different parts of the project and all the different elements that it ties into. Yeah, so in closing, uh, we'll be testing the site again with students for our summative evaluation in February 2020, once all the stories have been uploaded and the site is pretty much ready to go. Given that Canada is a bilingual country and it is a federally funded project, our project then goes into translation to be translated into our official languages of French and English, and it will be launching uh, later in summer 2020. And I can't wait for it to go live. So thank you very much for having us today. Merci. Um, here are thank our uh, emails. and. Happy to answer any questions. We have a few minutes as well as we'd be happy to stay afterwards and talk more about the project. Thank you. Thank you. Any Hi, Mitch. Yes. Question. Sorry, does anyone need the mic? Go for it. Yeah, I think um, Heritage Toronto, like um, our director of programming, uh, worked directly with Warren, and he can speak more about that. Um, and then I'll just explain that that person then left on maternity leave, which is why I was brought in. <laughs> so I'll let you take that, Warren. Yeah, so it actually was a collaboration. So what we did is we shaped the vision of the project. Now, the narrative changed. So Emily had Emily had had change the narrative, but we know overall from a structural perspective, roughly how many stories we were going to be telling, roughly the materials, roughly the objects that we're going to have to manipulate. So we knew from a scope perspective of what the project was going to look like, even if the content itself changed over time. Yeah, Is and that helpful? So, so the two points on that, uh, so two, sorry to cut you off, the two points on that which I think are really interesting is that um, you're right. One, it's very rare that we get the opportunity to be involved in shaping the project. In other words, it's almost like there was no RFP in this project because we didn't chose ourselves to invest into working with Heritage Toronto not knowing if the project was going to get funded. So we decided to shape the vision together. Um, and then the second thing is we have over the years doing hundreds of digital projects, realize things just change. And with things changing, we have to be adaptable and we have to be ready to, to, to change along with them. So because we knew the overall scope, we didn't really feel like the scope of work was going to change. It's just a matter of where we chose to invest those hours. Welcome. Any other thoughts or questions? We have three minutes. <laughs> I guess everybody wants to go home. And have lunch. <laughs> That's great lunch. Okay, thank you very much. Yeah, we'll be here Appreciate if you have it. any more. Thank you.